Hi, this is James Shogum, host of Webcomics Reviews and Interviews. Tonight, we're looking at the little people, so sit back, relax, and let the Geek Fest begin. One of the problems with being a writer is that you're constantly trying to figure out how to fill in holes. That is, no matter how many heroes, no matter how many villains you have, there's always going to be a lot of roles that somebody needs to take on, and, well, it doesn't quite fit right for the heroes and the villains. If we were doing a movie, we'd be putting a lot of these roles onto the supporting actors and onto the extras. First off, let's define it just a little bit differently than we normally would, just for the purposes of this, tonight's podcast. Generally speaking, anybody who's not the hero would be considering a supporting character if they had any kind of prominent part. That includes anywhere from the love interest to the villain, you know, so on and so forth. The other exception would be the extras. These are the people that usually stand out in the background or they might come on stage and do something really quick. They might even have a line or two. But when it comes to the extras, they're, well, just there. They're, well, extras. They're only there to provide a particular situation and take care of that problem. Sometimes they may just be there just to add a little bit of flavor to the background. In all honesty, when it comes to a comic book and we start looking at background extras, that's something you're going to have to negotiate with the artist. Some artists love doing those little quirky little things in the background that sort of come off as really cool. Great. If you have somebody like that, then you guys should exploit that and have a lot of fun with it and discuss what kind of little bits you can have going on in the background. You know, definitely if you can get away with it, do it. Because those background characters tend to add a lot of really great flavor to the comic. You know, if you're going to a medieval village and you've got a couple of kids chasing each other, you've got a blacksmith, you've got merchants discussing things or, you know, wives haggling. All the little things add a lot of really great depth to the comic. But we're not worried about the extras, you know. We're not worried about the people that come on, do something really quick, and then we never hear from them again. That's no fun. We need we like our supporting cast. With that in mind, we're going to be discussing a lot of really interesting ways you can exploit your supporting cast. And by supporting cast, obviously I'm not looking at the heroes, I'm not looking at the villains, and I'm not looking at those particular people. You know, I'm looking at the people who come through and do something important, you're not going to see a whole lot of them, but when they do come on, they're going to be something significant. You know, your sidekicks, your mentors, your family members, the people hunting them to send them back to the local gangster, you know, that sort of thing. We're not necessarily looking at the all-important recurring characters, but we are looking at some seriously needed recurring characters. And more importantly, we're looking at recurring characters that are going to help you fill a lot of your holes. Remember back when I said that? Yeah. Here's where it sort of comes to prominence. See, you're going to need to basically have some way of having somebody who has a skill that you only need like once in a while. Yeah, it's great if you can have one of your heroes have that skill, don't get me wrong, but sometimes it's not a bad idea to have them go to someone else. Or you may have to have them heal up for an afternoon. And if it's just the hero and the his group, yeah, that's going to get really boring really quick. You need some sort of interaction that's not them. Otherwise, you're going to be doing way too much exposition and it's going to get really annoying. You need somebody to come in and stir things up a little bit. And again, this is where you come in and bring in your supporting cast. 
sort of look at it this way. If your heroes are basically doing a lot of the heavy lifting and making sure things get done, you know, the questing, the dealing with the bad guys, that that sort of thing. And if your villains are basically there to provide the major conflicts for the heroes in order to show just how good of heroes they are, and of course the dreaded hero's journey stuff, well, you're going to need somebody to basically do stuff like, you know, find the maps, or take care of the expedition issues. I mean, if you're basically having the characters, your main characters, handle the expedition duties, yeah, it's going to get really annoying really quick, especially considering there's just no real way to pull it off nine times out of ten. Yeah, it sounds like really cool that you're going to have Hero A tell Hero B you know, all the stuff about the mountains, but isn't it sort of really cool if you've got somebody who's listening who really cares, and it's not a mandatory expedition thing, you know what I mean? It's not just a, well, I have to tell somebody, here, Hero B, here's all the stuff about the m mountains. Nah, you need a sidekick. You know, you need somebody who's actually going to care about why this stuff is there and why he's actually learning from the hero. This is where you some supporting cast can really come in handy. And there's a lot of different aspects to your supporting cast that you need to explore anyway because they can add a lot to your comic. So with that in mind, let's start off with the dreaded sidekick. Sidekicks are probably one of the most obnoxious roles, but they tend to help you fill in a lot of those holes you keep finding in your stories. When it comes down to it, the sidekicks, well, yeah, there was a lot of them prior to World War II, but when you start seeing World War II with all the comics and the serial rules and so on and so forth, well, you had a lot of writers decide they needed somebody for the boys to, you know, for them to take part in, basically represent them in that particular medium. The only problem is, is that, well, when boys read a comic book or when they watch a movie, they put themselves automatically in the place of the hero. They don't see themselves as the sidekick, they see themselves as the hero. And so, you had this character who was there to act as their avatar, and in all honesty, a lot of the boys that ended up hitting the sidekicks. You know, you've got a lot of people from World War II who absolutely hated Robin and had absolutely no problem telling everybody about that. They just hated the concept of the character. The only problem is that as the readers got a little bit older and they started wanting to do their own legacies, well, the sidekick became a lot more popular. After all, comics are a fantasy medium. That is, people like reading comics in totally of their own little fantasies. And having a sidekick that would be their legacy, that would be doing exactly what they wanted to, trust me, if you have a 10-year-old boy at home that's doing everything you tell him to do, and is never screwing up, and is always listening to you, yeah, they don't exist. But they do exist in the comics, and that's sort of cool. I mean, let's get real. Even Damian Wayne, with all of his attitude problems and his veganism and so on and so forth, and I'm not trying to cut down on veganism, just he has a very interesting take, is all I'm going to say. You know, even Damien Wayne, with all of his interesting little quirks, can still be bloody obnoxious. Well, for our purposes, the sidekick is going to be filming a lot of really neat little roles. I mean, first off, there's going to be a lot of tasks that you don't want to send your hero doing. You know, go grab the map, or, you know, grab, grab some grog, or, you know, Basically, little fetching tasks, or 
stuff that you need somebody to do, but you don't want to send the hero to do. You know? Hey, you've got the sidekick. He's supposed to be the apprentice. He's supposed to be learning. And doing exactly what the hero says is exactly what he's supposed to be doing. So, hey, go ahead and use him for that. It works out really great. Sidekicks can also be used for great comedy relief. Keep in mind, by the way, when we start talking sidekicks, we're not necessarily talking, a t- you know, the teenager or the pubescent boy that keeps following the hero around. In some cases, we can talk somebody who's that character's age or older, you know, basically as long as the character doesn't have greater prominence than the hero and is actually in a secondary role relative to the hero, they make a great sidekick. Remember what I said about sidekicks were present before World War II? Well, look at Sancho Panza from Don Quixote. You know, the entire character purpose was to, you know, act as a buffer between Don Quixote and the people, you know, the villagers and that sort of thing, but he was also there to provide comic relief. That's something any sidekick can do, and it's actually part of the job. On top of that, you've also got the necessary exposition tool there. That is, rather than trying to explain between two characters who should know the situation you can actually be explaining the situation to the sidekick. The sidekick has never been there before. He's going to lack that information, and the hero needs to provide that information. You know? Don't overuse this. Don't use it every time you need to. Just use it enough, and the sidekick will pay off in spades. And, of course, let's not forget that this sidekick will occasionally be totally obnoxious. It's just straight up. Occasionally, you will have to have them do weird things just to make things a little bit more interesting. You know, uh, spill something, knock something over, make a noise when everybody's trying to be stealthy, so on and so forth. Occasionally, you're going to need somebody to screw up stuff, and the sidekick is the best person for it. He's not somebody who's important. He's not going to be in a situation where he can really defend himself, and it just makes a really great use to have somebody there who can screw things up you want, it's understandable why he screwed things up, and but you're still going to have to recover from the gaff. Sidekicks are wonderful little tools when you figure out how to use them. On the evil side of ledger, well, let's explore minions a little bit because minions and sidekicks often get confused, mainly because people think that the minion is going to be the sidekick of the bad guy. Yeah, that's not quite right. See, whereas the sidekick is just learning, it's generally presumed that the minion actually knows what they're doing. Their reason for doing what the villain wants them to do is fear rather than love or respect, at least in theory, from the sidekick. On top of that, whereas the sidekick is somebody just learning to be a hero or, you know, somebody trying to fill a particular comedic relief type thing, well... The, the minions tend to be extensions of the bad guy. That is, if you look at the best minions that are out there, you start noticing how each one of them expresses a particular character flaw of the bad guy and does this in such a physical way that it becomes a little bit obvious. You know, you've got evil in from the Skeletor. Heck, let's look at Skeletor just because the guy is such an incredible comic. Or villain. You know, you've got Evil Lynn, obviously the lust. You've got Beast Man, who's obviously the anger part. You know, when you start looking at the various minions, you start seeing that each one of these minions provides a certain 
reflection back into the, their villain. This makes some really great things, especially if you're trying to do something really literary and you're trying to do like the seven major sins. You know, you can have your devil and then the seven sins around them, and you don't have to go with the standard set. But just so long as you remember that the minions are, in this case, acting as reflections of their particular bad guy. Also, as opposed to a sidekick who's just learning, and he may have some really great skills, but generally speaking, the sidekicks are, well, they're kids. They may have some really great computer skills, but and may be really great with a skateboard, but they're not really masters of those skills just yet. Good, yeah, but not masters. On the other hand, the minions are presumed to be masters of those skills. This puts them an entirely different skill level above. And this also means that whereas the sidekicks are just there to basically take care of really quick menial tasks, you can actually have a minion you know, go off and do something really important on his own volition, on his own agency, and actually have a little bit of fun doing it. Not just you, not just the minion, but also you as well. On top of that, well, there is a little problem that the minions are a little bit more handicapped. That is, whereas the minion, well, whereas the sidekick basically tends to be healthy, clever, and all this, that is, they're pretty much unfettered by life's experiences, pretty much. Well, your minions have issues. And I mean some severe issues. Some cases, they can't cross water because they're hydrophobic. Well, I know that's not quite the right word, but let's just go with it, okay? Or they may have to pause and look at themselves in every mirror. Or they may just be a natural klutz. You know, they may just be unlucky. The bottom line is that the minions have some sort of severe flaw that handicaps them when it comes to doing specific tasks. And you as a writer need to sort of keep that in mind. So, yeah. They tend to... The minions and sidekicks can fulfill a lot of the same functions. But it's important to understand that there's a huge difference between a sidekick and a minion. And it's not just a matter of the alignment of the person they serve. You need to keep that in mind. An interesting part that I guess better be uh, mentioned while we're in this particular area is, of course, the concept of pets. A pet, generally speaking, is a non-intelligent being that tends to follow the hero around. This can be your standard, you know, your domesticated dog, or it can be a wild tiger, as long as basically we're not looking at something that has an intelligence and agency in and of itself, but will tend to basically do whatever the hero tells them to do or will attempt to do things on their own initiative that are in line with what the hero needs to be done. You know, defending the hero, for example, or tracking things down. They're not quite intelligent enough to do the independent tasks that a sidekick or a minion can do, but it doesn't mean that they don't have a particular skill set. Obviously, a dog is the best example here. A dog can be set off to fetch something. They can be set to track something. They can even attack something. But these are very specific tasks for a very specific duration with a very definite goal. If you can keep that in mind and you don't mind having somebody who's communicating more through action rather than word, 
hey, pets are really great. More to the point, they also heavily define a character. I mean, let's get real. We expect dog lovers to be an entirely different person than cat lovers. You know, if you have a dog, you're expected to be loyal, integrity, all these really positive traits, whereas cats tend to be a little bit more independent, finicky. These are not necessarily bad things. If you happen to have a detective, having a finicky character actually works out really great because that character is going to be noticing pretty much everything. And he's going to be rendering judgment on it. Just like a cat, we would expect a cat to. If a person is a bird lover, they're going to be a little bit flighty. He's not going to be all that dependable, but, you know, they're going to be sort of vain and definitely be attractive, in theory anyway. Fish people tend to be more interested in, you know, collecting people and making them look pretty, and they prefer them to be quiet and in the background, just like you'd expect an aquarium full of fish to be. You know, the bottom line here is that pets help to define a character, and they do it in such a way that it becomes an obvious way of doing so. Yeah, occasionally you will have a little bit of irony, you know, you'll have a loyal, honorable person have a cat, for example. That's fine, especially if it happens to be a lion. Just keep in mind that pets help define, will look for the define the major character traits of the person who they belong to, even though, of course, that belong to isn't necessarily set in stone. On top of that, pets are really great for adding a little bit of accidental humor. Again, you need occasionally somebody to break the stealth situation or you need somebody to, you know, spill something or do something like that. Well, pets are great for that sort of thing. And for those who need a little bit more visual oomph, pets will always add a certain level of cuteness to it. I don't care if it's a cute little fluffy kitten or if it is a big 30-ton elephant. And yeah, I know elephants don't get that big, but that would be huge. The bottom line is, is that any animal will always add a certain level of cuteness. I don't care if it's a lion or if it's a kitten. You know? And you sometimes you just need that little bit of extra cuteness. And if we're talking pets, let's bring up familiars because familiars are... Well, here's the difference between a pet and a familiar when it comes down to it is that a pet will define a character. Familiars will define your setting. I mean, think about that for a second. If you've got a really hardcore magic system, you're going to need something... First off, let's back up a sec. When we're talking familiars, we're talking intelligent animals that can act on their own agency. More importantly, just like a sidekick, they can actually do set, be set to do a task that doesn't have an immediate goal. You know, the bottom line here is... Actually, if we're wanting a really quick analogy, if you took all the really fun stuff from sidekicks and all the really fun stuff from pets and threw in a really nasty behavior, you'd have your basic familiar. The point here is that the familiar will basically help define your your setting. And think about that for a second. If I've got a magic system, I'm trying to basically point out that it's got, you know, it's got witches and it's got demons and all that. Well, having a familiar imp is actually going to help or a familial black cat. You know, basically the magic system will really do well if there's 
some familiars running around. But this also applies to science as well. Because just as, say, a black cat makes a really great magical familiar, at the same time a robot would make a really great scientific familiar. The same basic concept applies. You've got a reasonably intelligent being that is filling a subservient role. You know, it doesn't. It can be a robot. It can be an energy being. It can be an animal. It can even be a plant. Whatever helps define your your um, setting is going to definitely help define the familiar. And of course, there's a dreaded family. The relatives, the siblings, mom and dad. Yay. You sort of have to keep in mind when we start talking family of a character that every family will have certain characteristics in common. And each one of them will bring this out in different ways. This is sort of important because this means that the family allows you to do a lot of weird stuff and have a lot of fun with the character. You know, first off, keep in mind that a family will ground your hero. That is, at this point, you basically have a character that you actually have a little bit more feeling for and has a little bit more grounding. He has somebody he can go to. He has, he's actually got a lot more roots into the setting with a family than without. You know, orphans are great, don't get me wrong, but give me a character with some family and hey, it's like, yo, pop. Yeah, is mom around need a recipe? You know? Or if you need to have some sort of sibling rivalry go off. You're going to find out siblings are really great for the dreaded mutual grievance pact. That is, they have no problem busting chops on each other, but if somebody else tries to come after one of the other siblings, yeah, the other sibling's going to come in and have his word to say about it. You know what I mean? So... You've got a, real, a lot of really great stuff when it comes to the family, but from a writer's perspective, what's really cool is that we can explore different variations of the hero, or the villain in this case. You know, because each family does have certain traits that they share in common, we can actually explore how the, what the hero's trait is, how, how it's specifically expressed in the hero, and then branch out in all these different other areas. What this means is that we can use the father and the grandfather to explore the history of the family, and not only that, but also explore older versions of the hero. We can look at everybody's lovers and their wives and their husbands and all that, and get a general feel for what kind of relationships the hero is going to have as he grows up. We can also regress that a little bit and go with the younger generations and explore, you know, the younger versions of the heroes. Exactly what did our heroic Finbar looked like when he was like 15, 10, 5. What did he look like? What kind of his motivations? What kind of fun did he get into? What kind of trouble did he get into at those ages? You know? Those younger family members allow us to explore the past of the hero just as much as the older ones allows us to explore the future. Go figure. You know? It not just they don't just provide a really great background as well as some really great support and some really great character building opportunities. They actually allow us to travel through time. And I think that's arguably one of the things that a lot of people tend to forget when it comes to families. It's just not a collection of people that happen to know each other. It's people that happen to have a lot of the same traits, a lot of the same background, and it gives us a lot of interesting exploration we can do in terms of what the hero 
could have been like had he gone different paths. So it's a sort of fascinating concept. And of course, there's always going to be that very thin line between family and friends. However, whereas the family has a very definite couple of traits that tend to unite them, friends don't. That is, whereas we can be really focused in what kind of traits we want to focus with the family, with the friends we can do all sorts of weirdness with. And this gives us other advantages. Read, whereas a family is going to help have a really small collection of skills, but they're going to have those skills mastered. On the other hand, with friends, you have a lot of really great people with incredible skill backgrounds that can be brought to the fore. Um, I mean, there's also going to be some a little bit of possible conflict, especially if you happen to have a friend who's constantly getting into trouble. I mean, admittedly, that's true with a family as well. But with friends, you have sort of a weird situation that there's the added tension of whether, you know, you could just simply drop a friend and there'd be no problem. It'd be like, guy's a total screw-up, he's out of my life, on to the next. You can't do that with family. There's just, that's not a real tension there. And of course, you know, you can actually explore the world a little bit more with the friends than you can with the family. That is, you can actually see what the various roles those friends have in the the world around them. And I mean, it's just sort of really nice to have somebody, one group you can explore the character with, and then another group you can explore the whole setting with. And that's just a really neat little thing. Plus, on top of that, the friends actually show you a little bit more about the kind of choices the character makes, and it's that in and of itself can be sort of interesting. Exactly how did the beggar become friends with the prince, you know? It's just sort of fun when you start exploring, using the friends to explore the the setting. Now, take everything I've just said about the family and everything about the friends in terms of focus versus, well, being more general, and now we start looking at the lovers. Here's the I don't care for the purposes of this podcast. It doesn't matter what the gender relationship is. It can be male, female, male, male, female, female, two asexuals. It doesn't matter as long as we're talking to basic lovers. The thing to keep in mind with lovers is that they have to have some sort of equal parity. That is, they have to be of equal power level. What this basically means is that if they're in a situation, each one of them has to be something to the situation that the other one doesn't. And on top of that, they have to do so in such an equal amount. In other words, swordsman and archer, perfect lover situation. You've got melee versus missile, you know? Or a mage and a scientist. Again, two conflicting skill sets that will actually end up being complementary to each other. And because of that, they can be equal out. Not only can they add a little bit of well, they're obviously, again, going to be a little bit more interesting definition of the character. At the same time, if the family and friends could possibly bring conflict to the situation, yeah, the lover, especially if it's a, somebody they're married to, is definitely going to be bringing the conflict. Because let's get real. With a family, yeah, you can disown them. With a friend, you can abandon them. Your wife, yeah, she's going to track your butt down. So, you're going to be in a situation where with the family you're trying to prove yourself, with a friend you're trying to maintain a certain degree of 
you know, let's get real. Most of the friendship relationships have a business edge to them. Well, with your wife or your husband, you're going to be in a situation where you're trying to prove yourself to them and at the same time make their life a lot easier. And this isn't always all that easy. Go figure. Your biggest source of conflict between your friends, your family, and your lover is going to be your lover. You know what I mean? However, keep in mind that you want to avoid fridging the significant other. That is, you don't want to bring in a significant other just to kill them off for a cheap emotional impact. You need to avoid that at all costs. So, have lovers. Don't get me wrong, but don't fridge them. You know what I mean? Alright. Sort of a last but not least as far as the people that are surrounding the characters are the dreaded mentors. Mentor, obviously, is the person who helps the person become who they are. This is the person that the hero will always go to advice. And, of course, the mentor will have a certain... Let's just say they'll have a reason to back the character up. This doesn't mean that the mentors aren't going to slap them down. I mean, if anybody else is going to slap them down, yeah, the mentor is going to have fun doing it. You know? You basically didn't quite learn everything you needed from me. Yeah, obviously. So... Shut up, let's talk, and here's how you, what you're going to do. You know, the mentor is there to not just be a bastion of advice, but also to be the ultimate security in a lot of ways. That is, the mentor is always going to be the person who's going to try to back up his students as much as possible. The mentor-mentee relationship will almost always go both ways, even though it'll generally tend to be towards the mentor. You know, if this is one of those weird situations where, with everybody else, the option of dropping or keeping them around is up to the hero. With a mentor, it's just the opposite. He's the one with the choice. If he's deciding that his student is just being way too uppity and he needs to be shut down, yeah, he's going to back off and let the guy take a couple of lumps. He's there to teach him, make sure that person learns what he's supposed to learn, and occasionally, let's get real screwing up and having to deal with recriminations because of that screw-up is exactly what needs to happen. You know, there's always going to be some sort of situation where the person needs to, well, take it to the private. You know what I mean? And the mentor is going to be the press person to make sure that that happens. This isn't to say that mentors are always going to be a jerk. Sometimes you need them to be a little bit more pleasant. Sometimes you need to be the, you know, the one place where the hero knows he can go to in case something goes bad. It's a very interesting relationship between mentor and student. You've got to figure out where exactly you are on that particular spectrum. But generally speaking, it's going to be a father-son or a mother-daughter type relationship. You know... Yeah, I know there's like 57 different permutations on the situation, but the bottom line is they're going to have some sort of parent-child relationship and the hero is going to be in the child position. There's absolutely no question. He's trying to prove himself to the mentor to that he can actually be a grown-up. And it doesn't always work that way. The hero is always going to be trying to prove that he can graduate to that next level. And in order to do that, he's got to prove himself to the mentor in order to do that. Eventually, the mentor will recognize that the student has become the master. 
And yeah, trust me, every student lives for that moment. And if you're trying to figure out a really great way to reward a character later on, having him become the master and have it recognized being the mentor is just such an awesome moment. And it's definitely one worth building up towards. So try to keep that in mind. And then it gets really interesting. There's a role-playing game called Champions, which is really great because it has a really great disadvantage section. Two of those yeah, we're going to discuss here are the Dependent Non-Player Character and Hunted. Dependent Non-Player Characters, or DNPCs, first off, would cover pretty much everybody we've just talked about. And it's important to understand why this is a disadvantage. But, first off, let's talk about why you want somebody... This is some basically a general catch-all category. You know, if the character has somebody that he basically just goes to every so often, it acts really nice to them, like adopted kids or something like that, odds are those are going to be his DNPCs. Um, a lover in every port. You know, the hero is trying to basically make sure that he's going to have some sort of date and that every, he has he has one in every port. You know, and it's just, these are other ways to define the character as well as help you look at the setting in general. That aren't necessarily one of the, you know, they're not related to the person, they're not friends, they're not into a parent, or sorry, they're not into a student-teacher relationship, so on and so forth. They're just simply people that the hero happens to know, happens to have a relationship with, and is actually putting some actually some effort into those that relationship. Now, what's really cool about any of these dependent NPC situations is that, well, first off, they can act as a serious source of conflict in that the person is either going to have a disagreement, the person is going to screw up, and the hero has to cover it. The hero screws up and the NPC has to cover it, or the NPC can be taken hostage and all of a sudden, or threatened, and the hero has to figure out a way to deal with that situation. I mean, it's sort of really cool when you've got, you know, you've got this guy who goes to every port, he has a woman in every port, and all of a sudden he finds out that one of the women he's been dating for like the last decade or so is being leaned on by a local gangster. You know, it's your basic. It's not quite a full hostage situation, but it's close too. The hero has to step in and do something to back up his lady love. You know, a little bit of nice little conflict, and it can actually work out really well. Having all these various the NPCs throughout the setting actually works out really well when it comes to how your character interacts with the setting, as well as setting up some really neat little conflicts every so often. The bottom line is that these DMPCs can not only be used to heighten the conflict, but can also react as rewards. You know, you've got somebody who's been working out and trying to make sure there's an orphanage at off key. Hey, all of a sudden, if he goes out into a cave, grabs a couple of thousand gold pieces, brings it back to the orphanage, that orphanage is going to be dealt with for quite a while. Nice little reward for the character. And we're trying to basically deal with the hero's journey, which let's get real, part of the fun of doing the hero's journey is the final reward stage. You know, what this character learned? How is the character affecting his world? Well, 
making the world a lot better for a couple of random NPCs that he's been known for quite a while is sort of cool. So, you know, just little things to keep in mind. Now, keep in mind also that while we're looking at a lot of these, we've been looking at essentially positive relationships. That is, there, even though there can be some great conflict and some incredible tension, the bottom line is, is that these are definitely a love-based situation. And, yeah, I know in a lot of cases that's using that word just a little too much, but the bottom line is that there's some sort of deep, positive interaction between the character and these various uh, well, NPCs. And then you have the dreaded hunteds. These are people that are, for one reason or another, trying to do something negative to the character. They're trying to bring him in. They've got a reward that they want. And, well, the head of the character is dependent for that reward. Or, the character has really ticked them off and they're just trying to get a little bit of vengeance, you know? The bottom line is, you have the heroes in sort of some sort of conflict with one of the other people in the campaign that's not necessarily one of the villains. I mean, that's just way too obvious. Sometimes you want them to have a couple of bounty hunters or the tax evader or even the local library woman trying to collect her fines, you know? These are little things that can have a little bit of fun. The best thing about these characters, more than anything else when it comes down to it, is first off, they create a definite history. That is, you have to establish that somehow or another, the character screwed up, take this person off, and now have this person on this case off in the background. You know? You, it's a really great way to build a character history. On top of that, they can, all, they can add a lot more tension. I mean, if I've got a situation where all of a sudden one of the characters hunted shows up, I don't care how scary you think library, library, librarians are. Yeah, just having her show up, knowing that she was there to screw his life over, and all of a sudden he's in a delicate situation as it is, yeah, that's going to build some serious tension for you. I mean, obviously a little bit on the comedic side, but you can shift it over to having the big bad bounty hunters. You know, it. however you want to play the scene. The bottom line is, your hunters add some really great tension to the, any given situation. On top of that, occasionally they can be used as allies. If you have an especially long-running comic, you're going to notice that every so often you're going to have the heroes and the villains and miscellaneous people team up against a common foe. Well, let's say you've got the bounty hunters who have been chasing this guy forever, and all of a sudden... They have to get into, you know, the standard trap situation. You know, they, everybody's in the same cave. The obvious solution is for everybody to call a truce and to work together and agree that they've got, like, some sort of separation time afterwards. Yeah, I know it's cliche. I know it can be a little annoying, but sometimes the people that are causing the most pain in your life can actually be the best person to have around in that particular instance. So take advantage of it. So I hope you really learned a lot about your various NPCs. Your supporting cast can be a really great use to you. You can have them set up the history. You can have them set up very relationships. You can help them add tension. Uh, there's definitely conflict and 
I mean, let's get real. I don't care how much you love your wife. The two of you are not always going to get along. And some of your greatest moments are when you've been at your lowest times. You know? And the same applies to pretty much any relationship. The point here is that you're going to need to have characters that fill in particular roles. You're going to need them to have recurring, recurring, but at the same time, you don't want them to be main characters. This is where you need to have your supporting characters come in and step up and have a little bit of fun with them. I mean, sure. You can have the biggest, baddest, grittiest bad guy, but to find out that the guy has a couple of really cool nephews, you know? Imagine how much fun that would be. Or he has this one really ugly dog that he's in love with. And will do anything to for that dog, you know? Little character building things, exactly what your supporting cast should be for. For this and other ways to build up characters, I obviously want to be suggesting my book over on Amazon, The Writer's Resource Character Building. Check it out. And this, will, this definitely will help you when it comes to building a lot of really great NPCs. Definitely enjoy it. And there's a lot of other really great stuff about costume design, as well as how to build up your main characters and the difference between a Mary Sue and an insert character. There's some really great stuff in there. So check it out. Again, Writer's Resource Character Building. Also, if you like this podcast and you wish to support it, please check me over at patreon.com slash twosparrows, T-W-O. There's some really neat bonuses. There's show notes. There's many podcasts that help you inspire as well as deal with certain minor issues. And like I said, if you really throw in a couple of bucks, it'd be really appreciated. So, again, I hope this has been of use to you. Talk to you later. Have a good night.